Hello, and welcome to the Great Birth Rebellion podcast, where we grapple with current research to help you get the best out of your pregnancy, birth, and postpartum journey, while still challenging the dominant birth culture. I'm your host, Dr. Melanie Jackson at Melanie the Midwife, and I'm joined weekly by my co-host, B from Core and Flora Store, and this is The Great Birth Rebellion. Welcome, everybody, to episode 26 of The Great Birth Rebellion, and we are finally doing the breach episode that everybody's been asking about, and I want to do it justice. So we've invited Andrew Bissett here today, which many people call the breach whisperer, and every time anyone talks about breach, Andrew Bissett's name is what comes up. So we've got him here today, and he's going to give us all of his knowledge about breach. Andrew, welcome to the Great Birth Rebellion, and uh, we'd just love for you to introduce yourself to people who've never heard of you before, which I don't know if that's possible, but. Okay. All right. So, yes, probably quite possible. So, I'm an obstetrician. I work at the Royal Hospital for Women in Randwick. I've been here now for, dare I say it, almost 13 years. I'm what's called the medical co-director of maternity. Uh, an older term for that would have been director of obstetrics, but I like the, the terminology medical co-director because I'm a co-director with a midwife. And so my job here is that uh, I have a management job where along with uh, my midwifery counterpart Robin Gasparotto we oversee the uh, running of the maternity department here in all its facets you know in antenatal care uh, health health education and uh, the postnatal care and then of course intrapartum care now my other function here is that I'm an obstetrician as well so I've had a lot of involvement with midwifery group practice I work with three groups I've always worked with three or four groups and then uh, I also run a breach clinic I used to be heavily involved with the diabetic clinic uh, the perineal trauma clinic uh, where we reviewed women with third and fourth degree tears and uh, forceps births I'm doing less of that now because of the amount of administration and management, uh, but I'm still heavily involved with particularly the breaches, the women with the breach presentation, and then I still do on-call in the birthing suite. My other role here is a lot of teaching with medical students, and so uh, we have uh, them going through all the time. I do participate in some midwifery teaching, and then, of course, I've got research interests. I'm particularly always interested in reviewing data around our births and how we can best use it. I'm also very interested in newer methods of monitoring. We're currently looking into a um, monitoring device called the Ollie Patch, which is very, very interesting. And I'm desperately keen to pursue that because CTGs, the CTG monitoring that we use has really come to a dead end and, uh, you know, everyone's trying to bleed out bleed out of it things that just aren't possible. And so uh, don't start me on that. But, uh, so, but you know, clearly um, we need something and so it's good to see these other developments. So I've, I've always had uh, research interests as well, preterm birth, and then um, a lot of it's also about the routine data that we collect. So that's me. 
Amazing. And I've also read research papers that you've written. So I'm imagining that your work really produces work for publication as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Amazing. Thanks so much for being here because yeah. this information is so important and hard to get really clear evidence on. So if you've joined us here today to learn about breach, uh, when a baby is in a breach position, that means its bum is down instead of its head. And as midwives, we consider this a variation of normal rather than a pathological event. But we want to talk about it because some care providers see breach as pathological rather than a variation. So it's also worth, if you've got a clinician and you're keen to know what their perspectives are on breach, to quiz them about that as well. And today we're going to quiz Andrew. So, Andrew, my first question to you is uh, how many babies are breech, are presenting bum down or feet down at full term? So at full term, it varies between, say, 2 and 4%. It'll be more like 2% if the institution that you're working in does a lot of turning of babies. So, so mostly I'd say you know, towards the close to term and then at term, you're looking at a figure probably around 3%. Yeah. And at what week gestation should a woman start to consider making efforts to turn their baby? At what week does it kind of become a concern? Well, generally I would say 35 to 36 weeks if the baby's still breech, and particularly if the baby's still breech at 36 weeks, it's not that common for baby to turn after that. Some do, but it's it's a distinct minority. Right. So if your baby's breech at 36 weeks, then it's time to start taking action to... Yes, yes. Turn. And do we know what the reasons are for why a baby might adopt a breech position? Yeah, so there are some very well-known causes. You always have to think, is it something about the baby that's stopping he or she turning inside the womb. There are some conditions that babies can have uh, or some something in their anatomy that stops them from turning. Now, most of the time it's not, but we always look for something. Then it could be something as far as the, the, the fluid in the mother's womb, and if, that, if there's too much of that or too little, both of those will tend to predispose a baby to being breech and not head first, particularly if there's a lot of fluid around the baby because the baby's got all that room to move. Then next to the fluid, you've got to think, is the placenta in the wrong place? So there's a proportion of these uh, breech babies, you'll find that the placenta is low and stopping the baby's head from going down. Not so common these days because of all the ultrasounds that we do. But every now and again, you do find that babies breach and we find that the placenta is just a bit too low and that's what's stopping the baby from going down. Probably more common that is uh, some women have a slightly different shaped uterus and that different shape sometimes can be quite subtle so it doesn't quite allow the baby to do the appropriate turns in later pregnancy. Some women have what we call a heart-shaped uterus, and there's quite a dimple in the middle of the top of the uterus which stops the baby from turning. 
We also call that a bicornuate uterus. Some women have a double uterus where there's less room for the baby to turn and the baby's, the uterus that has the pregnancy uh, is not quite symmetrical and then predisposes to a breach. Uh, then sometimes it's because the woman's pelvis is just too small, but that's rare. It's very rare in our, particularly our country, with our level of nutrition and health for that to happen. Yeah. Is that a genetic? So, like, if you were born breech personally, and your mum, you know, your mum had breech births, is there a genetic predisposition to carrying breech babies? There's some yeah, disposition like that. We're not sure whether it's genetic. Well, I suppose it could be genetic in that it could be something about an inherited aspect of the mother's anatomy that makes the baby be breached towards the um, end of the pregnancy. So there's no doubt that once if your mother's uh, had a breech presentation, you are at slightly greater chance of having a breech presentation as well. I was just going to say, if you've had one breech baby, do we know if you're at risk of having a second? I guess that might yes. be similar to if yes. it was internal reason or a... You are. Once you have one breech baby, uh, you're more likely to have another one, even if there's none of those obvious causes. Yeah. Yeah. So, Andrew, what you've talked about here are all typically physical um, yeah. reasons that the baby may present in breech. What I wanted to know in your research and your work... Have you ever looked at emotional causes for it? So there is the author Christine Northrump from the States yeah. who writes a lot around the, the that there may be emotional reasons, obviously a lot harder to study, especially in a scientific world. Yeah. But I just wanted to ask you whether you'd come across that either anecdotally in your work or in research. Not convincingly. Uh, there's no doubt that Zoe... A number of women who find out their baby's uh, baby is breech will be very upset at the time. But I've never, it's not that I it can't, I, I can't identify, you know, even one woman who clearly said, uh, I got very upset at this time and all of a sudden my baby was breech. Mm. Now, as you say, it's hard to study, and even anecdotally, it's hard to get that information. Uh, there are a number of very experienced midwives who I've worked with who make reference to this, mm. and essentially I would defer to their opinion about it. Yeah, but Christine's description, basically what she says is that when there's been significant emotional trauma either prior to or during that pregnancy, that the, the baby stays closer to the mother's heart and it's almost like that emotional connection. Along with, you know, some of the press that Breach gets, you know, you could you can get a generation of uh, you, anxiety starts happening maybe clearly earlier than it should, yeah. And Andrew, I've, uh, you know, when after a baby's born breach and we usually recommend to the parents six weeks later to have a hip ultrasound on the baby, a colleague has spoken to me about that as well. And, you know, we've talked about how are we getting the ultrasound because the baby was breached or was the baby breached because they had issues in their pelvis for, you know. Yeah, right, yeah. Look, most likely it's 
the fact that because the baby's breech and whatever caused it, that the baby's hip socket hasn't had a chance to be properly moulded because of the, particularly when the baby's in that position where the hip is quite flexed and, you know, the baby's feet are close to uh, his or her face, then that's particularly unfavourable for the development and moulding of the hip socket. Yeah. And so does that mean that babies who maybe weren't breached the whole pregnancy and happened to turn breech and be born breached sort of undiagnosed would be at less risk of those hip issues? Yeah, 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 less so, yeah. Yeah. And perhaps we can talk about then there's different types of breaches. They're yeah. not all, you know, the same. Can you talk us through the different breach okay. So the most common one is where the babies, it's what we call frank breach presentation. I'm not sure why they chose that term, but anyway, you know, our profession is full of crazy terms. But it's mainly that the um, the hip is flexed and then the, the baby's leg is bent right up towards his or her face, both so that... Uh, the um, the bum's leading and you've got these legs that are, you know, uh, they're extended at the knees and those feet are re reaching the baby's face. face. So the baby's face. folded completely folded. in half, completely uh, like, a, like a chair, just straight. Like, like a chair, yeah. So the next most common one is what we call a complete breach where the hips are flexed but the knees are bent so that... Uh, it looks a bit more comfortable for the baby and it's where the feet are close to the bum and they might even be a bit below the backside. Then the next one is where the baby's uh, legs are really not flexed at the hips. Um, they're more or less the baby's in almost a standing position with the knees slightly bent. And the characteristic of this is that the feet and bum are very far apart uh, and then you've got variations some babies come with you know one foot up and one foot down some babies are kneeling um, and they're all variations as well but the it's the first three that I mentioned that probably are the most relevant from a practical point of view. And why is it important to know what type of breach Reaches. Most because when the baby's in that in that first position where it's in that folded up position, probably mechanically for the birth, it's the best mm. because the bum uh, behaves like the head would in a head first position and then uh, the baby gets folded up more and more with the labour and it means that the baby sort of springs out in an in a fairly efficient way at the end. With the that second one where the um, uh, knees are bent and the hips aren't as flexed, uh, that can work mechanically, and most of the time it does. But it has a tendency for the baby's feet, and this happened to me on the weekend where the baby's feet come well and truly down below the backside. And that's not that, not that it's bad, but you've got to be prepared that 
the arms might be, end up being in the wrong place. So the good thing about that first one that I spoke about was that with the feet being right up against the body in labour, what happens is that those feet are also holding the arms in place so that at the time of birth, they don't swing around and get in the way of the baby birthing, right? Whereas, say, we in that second one, the complete breach, what happens is that most of the time the babies come out okay, but the arms do have more of a chance to uh, get in the wrong place. And then that's particularly relevant for the third one where the baby's almost in a standing, what we'd call a standing position, the arms, you know, do have quite a chance to get in the way. And this, this is what happened to this uh, woman who um, birthed on the weekend in her baby was coming down feet first and then the baby wasn't ended up not doing the right twists and turns. Everything was okay in, in the end, but we were prepared for that. Right. Mm. Yeah. And I guess the real reason we want to, and I guess this is why breach is such a big topic, is that so many clinicians don't know how to manage a breach that at all full stop and so we we're in a situation where lots of breaches are being born by cesarean (coughs) instead of vaginally Uh, do you know the current stats on how many breaches are born by cesarean versus vaginally i I don't know the precise number but i can tell you it's about 99 percent yeah as or or so, let's say we something between 95 and 99% of babies uh, are born by cesarean. And we need to, what I'd love to go to, and Mel, you're probably going to guide, you're probably going to guide it there, is why this is currently the case, right? Because up to a certain point, breach was considered a variation of normal. We were skilled in it. We knew how to do it. Do you just want to give our listeners, for those that don't know, a rundown on how that has changed, how breach has gone from being predominantly a vaginal birth event to now being a cesarean birth event? Yeah. So probably originally, while, say, when I trained, and I forgot to say, so I've been in full-time obstetric practice now for getting on to 39 years, And so when we started, breach was considered a variation of normal, but because essentially obstetricians have always run the shop, so to speak, in in Australia, particularly at that time, it was always viewed as having something abnormal as well, if you get my point. And so because of that mindset, and because of various textbooks, it was always thought that you, you know, an obstetrician had to get their hands on the breach to make sure that everything was okay. So this is in the 80s? This is in the 80s, mm-hmm. and, you know, the early 90s, and, you know, prior to that time as well. For the people that taught you, your mentors very much had that mentality that yeah, it was yeah. an abnormality that had to be medically well, managed. That, that it had to be managed, you had to have your hands on, you had to turn the baby this way and that way, and that all breech babies, you know, this is, was taught, needed to uh, you needed to help the head out with a pair of forceps right? to protect the head. You know, I'm not sure, never made quite sense to me, you know. So big 
so there was always that edge to it. Now, say we in some countries in particular, breach was very much considered a variation of normal. And I would say that that would have been particularly the case in the UK in, say, the 50s, 60s, and perhaps early 70s, but particularly in Scandinavia, Holland, and France. And so you would have had, you know, midwives, and even midwives here, midwives here recall, you know, recalled to me, you know, that they would be looking after, you know, two or three delivery rooms, and one of them would be a breach, and they, you know, in one sense, they would be allowing all the time in the world for the breach to deliver. So overall, it was considered normal. But when obstetricians were involved, the, the rule was that you always had to have your hands on them. And if you read the textbooks from the time, you know, there are a number of uh, famous textbooks. They That's how they talk about breach. So and in one sense, you know, when this big study was published, you know, and, you know, I just cannot believe that it's, you know, over 20 years since it's been published, but it has, that sort of reinforced that uh, mindset that, you know, a breech birth really needs to be managed and you, ne- you need to know all these manoeuvres. So what uh, you're talking about here for people that don't know is yeah. what was titled the term breach trial. Yeah, so yeah. a lot of what we're talking about today, because I think we probably do need to highlight that babies who are born premature do have typically a higher risk or a higher chance of being born breached because they're still rotating and moving yeah. around and they're being born before that full term. So what we are talking about is is term healthy pregnancies at term, so after 37 weeks. So the term breach trial was, yeah, it's now nearly 20 years old. Um, and that over was conducted. 20 years, over 20 years, dare I say. Yeah, yeah. And where was that conducted? What can you tell us about that? So that was uh, conducted in 120, 110 countries worldwide. Some countries had more, more than others. Uh, and, you know, there was the, um, you know, countries like Australia, UK, US, Canada, uh, New Zealand. Then uh, you had a whole lot of countries that were poorer. Uh, you had a whole lot, of, you know, it was uh, far and wide, okay? And uh, they, what they did in that study, and it was, you know, it was a fantastic effort, you know, it was an amazing effort to be able to do this. Uh, they got... 1,000 women to elect for a planned caesarean, 1,000 women elected for a planned vaginal breach. That was the study. Tell us what happened. What were the results? What did they show? The main result was that one in 20 20 women who elected for the planned vaginal breach, one in 20 of their babies had some nastier complication. Of course, the nastiest was death. The noticeable, and I use the word nasty um, because that's how it was labelled, right? So some babies were very born very short of oxygen. Some babies had injuries uh, to either nerves, bones. Some babies had to spend a prolonged period in nursery. And that was much less in the planned caesarean arm. So it was about... One in 20 in the planned vaginal arm. In the planned caesarean arm, it was more like um, one in 100. 
And in the planned vaginal birth, were there specific ways that the breech baby had to be born? So was it a hands-on approach? Were there forceps applied to the head for every birth? Was it a mix of um, different things? It was a mixed bag. There were some prescriptions, but it was very much a mixed bag of while they wanted experienced people there, they didn't always have experienced people there. There were varying prescriptions as to how, how to care at the time of the birth and so it was very much a mixed bag of care that the women in the uh, vaginal birth are whereas so in a cesarean it's much more it's much more of the same you know it's much more consistent and so what happened when that study was published worldwide in terms of the management of breach and then what and then if you can tell us what happened you know basically what we're hearing is the results were that vaginal breach seems unsafe um, compared with cesarean birth so that result that study gets published that belief comes out is published in and it was a was it was it published in the lancet lancet yes um so then what happens then well what happened then was that a whole lot of countries just virtually said we're not doing, we can't do vaginal breaches anymore. We can't have planned vaginal breaches. If they front up, we'll try and look after them. But as a planned exercise for a birth, we consider it too dangerous. And that was reinforced by the fact that when they looked at the results in countries like ours, the differences, you know, between planned vaginal breach and planned caesarean was even more noticeable. So that there was in in countries like that, one in twenty babies was harmed in the planned vaginal arm, and I think it was even less than one in a hundred were planned were armed in the planned cesarean arm, and so that further reinforced this. It was a sense of alarm, really, that you know this breech, planned vaginal breech birth is so dangerous that we just can't do it. Um, and Andrew, there was a lot when that study came out. There was it was followed by a lot of criticism. Though, mm. can you talk us through? You know, now that that whole term breach trial has been mostly discredited academically, what was wrong with it? What, why? Well, hasn't it been deemed flawed? I thought it was deemed flawed, and this that it was pulled. Well, it, no, it hasn't been pulled. No, it's still. Uh, so it still has enormous sway, uh, despite all the criticism. And, you know, you could, I mean, there are reasons for that. But so the main problems with it were that um, because it was conducted in 120 or 110 countries, you know, you had a vast amount of variation in care. And, you know, some of it was clearly substandard care. And the substandard care landed more on the women planning a vaginal breach than women planning a cesarean because everyone was confident about a cesarean because you're already starting to do so many but with the planned vaginal arm you know there was a varying level of skill attending these births and sometimes there was considerably substandard care and this has actually been published by the way in the canadian um I'm pretty sure it's the Canadian Medical Journal where they uh, looked at some of the more serious outcomes and they just highlighted significantly substandard care. My argument here is that 
physiological breech birth hasn't really been examined in it, right? Like it's been, it's breech birth that has been managed and managed in different variations by different skill levels. So we're not actually truly looking at physiological breech birth, breech birth and the outcomes of that. Yeah. So, yeah, well, that's one thing. The other thing is that the skill of the people that they had attending the births was very varied and, when they looked at the numbers, one in five breach births was attended by someone who wasn't skilled, and that's a fairly significant crit- criticism. The other thing is that the adverse events that they count, the uh, you know what I labelled some of those nasty outcomes, when they looked at those, they weren't really that it's they were sort of all lumped together, like the death of a baby was equivalent to a baby ending up the nursery for the two days, right? I mean, clearly they're very different, right? And to lump it all together leads to a bit of distortion of how bad things are. Then, um, you know, there were there were lot, lot, lots of places were pushed beyond their comfort zone because of the guidelines. Lots of the breach, the group in the breach planned vaginal breach arm, they had lots of babies, uh, far more babies that were smaller than they should be. Things. So while everything, you know, the whole reason you do a study like this is you want to compare apples with apples. Well, in the end, uh, they had two very similar groups, but they had different things done to them. Um, you know, when we do a randomised control trial, the whole point is to keep everything very similar so you can compare the outcomes, whereas this wasn't a true... Yes. fair comparison because the arms were so different in what the people were given in terms of care providers skill and knowledge uh, yes yeah and see the other interesting thing was that despite those significant differences when they looked long term at the babies say so they reviewed did a review of the babies two years later there were no differences okay. so short- so once death was taken out yeah there were no differences. There were no. If anything, the babies in the planned vaginal breech arm were doing a bit better in so terms of longer term outcomes. Yeah. And so, Andrew, would you would it be correct in saying then the outcome of a breech birth could be? Well, it's more important to look at the skill of the clinician than the actual position of the baby. That's one important thing, right? Yeah, and the but it's also. It's what what particular skill are we looking for in the clinician? And it's not so much uh, what they're doing with their hands, it's their ability to simply watch the birth. That's the critical skill. Now, that I'm not trying to sound like a Buddhist or something like here, but um, that's true, you know, that, uh, you know, when I, because when, so, we, all right, I was, um, we've had a good few breech births this year and each time, most of the time, when I'm in the room, uh, I'm just watching the birth. Mm-hmm. We're just encouraging. We're making sure that the room's as calm as possible. Uh, we're making sure that the woman feels safe. We're making sure that people are quiet. And most of the time, we haven't got our hands on, and that's the skill. And, you know, when I look at some of the younger doctors who've been there, what they get out of it, because sometimes they're expecting, look, I'm going to learn how to do this and that. Well, 
most of the time you don't. All you're doing is watching a birth, which is such an important skill. Mm-hmm. Right. So what you're describing is trust, right? That's this, exactly the right. ultimate skill for, to support breech birth is to trust in the process, trust in the physiology. Right. Yeah. So they're probably, yeah. you know, there has to be that, the whole room has to trust in the process. Yeah. 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 So I guess what you're talking about then, the skill of vaginal breech birth is knowing when not to do something. That's exactly right. And where we run into issues with unskilled care providers is they see a breach being born and they always assume that they need to do something. That's right, yeah. It can create a problem. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so any skilled provider, the first thing they have to know is exactly how that baby does it. Mm -hmm. And they have to know exactly what normal or physiological looks like. And that can't be sort of um, left to, um, you know, chance. They have to know that. They have to feel it, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. It's not just knowing because, yeah, that's one. So one of the things, you know, I, and I don't want to sound too hippie-ish, but when I'm describing, you know, the, the mechanics of a breech birth to a woman, I suppose I've seen it so many times I can feel it. If, if I don't want to sound too crazy, but... So, yeah, it's that, and see, one of the most important parts of the conversation that I have with women who are either making up their mind or anticipating a vagina breech birth is that dis- discussion of how the birth happens. And it's discussed in that, you know, fairly intense, you know, way where, you know, you're describing all the twists and the turns. And you know it works when, because a lot of women say after that, they say, ah, that's how the baby does it. And it's not, they're not saying in then that, you know, I didn't know that before. What they're saying is that, ah, yes, there is something special about this and it does all happen, right? And then there's that, uh, and see, that's the critical information that women need. And it's the ability and... Again, my skill, again, is not that I have my hands on or anything like that. It's that I talk to the women in a particular way, which then allows them to have a confidence in the process, and then that's reinforced. Sure, we discuss risks, but it's really putting it in the context that this is something possible, it's normal, and so one of the things the mindsets that we have to change is that this mostly is a very normal process, just like a headfirst birth. It's a normal process. And the baby knows how to do it, right? Because right, yeah. in breech birth, I, well, I think what you're trying, what you're explaining here is the mechanisms that the baby uses yeah. to move through yeah. the pelvis. But it's that the baby knows how to manoeuvre itself through yeah. the person's yeah. body. Yeah. yeah. Well, that has to be the starting mindset rather than this, this is something you know so potentially abnormal that we have to get in there and have our hands on you and i think that is the difference between a skilled clinician as you said and an unskilled clinician is to uh, assume that every single breach needs assistance Mm. Um, do you know how many breaches you've attended andrew look i don't (laughs) but look it's probably it's something somewhere between four and five hundred yeah that's incredible and I know you must have a process for being able to screen out women who would be yeah. ideal candidates for vaginal breech births. 
can you talk us through kind of what your criteria is if a woman's keen to have a vaginal breach? What criteria do you kind of prefer is met? Well, the pregnancy by and large has to have been, you know, happening without any problems. The woman herself has to be healthy and then the baby needs to be not too big, not too little and roughly, you know, now for all their limitations, you want a baby between, you know, that's measuring between roughly between 2.5 and 4 kilograms. We have more, you know, the more sophisticated measures of the centiles, but we want the baby to be in a reasonably normal range of growth. But particularly if you're looking at a very small baby, I'm talking very small, or a baby that's heading on up to 4.5, then probably that's not the best situation. It doesn't rule it out, but you so look, the other thing is just the 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 woman's mindset. All right. Some women become very anxious about the baby being breached and particularly if once they've heard the information, they've processed, if they're still feeling really anxious, it's probably not a great start. And so I I would, clearly it's up to the woman, but probably it's better that she has a cesarean. Now, I don't like having to say that, but that's, and that's probably, I'm also responding to the current pressures that we're under, you know, but so that but I, I think that's a very important one that there has to be some sort of positive mindset about it you know that mindset at some stage that while there is a degree of, of app, uh, some degree of apprehension there is that mindset i can do this right mm-hmm. well you mentioned the current um, pressures that you're under what do you mean by that well i, I just think that there's amongst obstetricians, uh, amongst, you know, medical people in general, even amongst a lot of midwives, uh, not not as many, clearly, uh, there's a real anxiety about breech births and that, uh, you, you know, everything has to be right because if something goes wrong, there's always, always that focus on what if things go wrong? You know, what if you didn't tell the woman about this? What if you didn't do that? that puts a huge pressure on us. And and so it's the ability of a particular individual woman to sort of despite all those pressures, because the pressures also come from families. You know, I've had some spectacular examples of that where, you know, women have been really hounded by their families about, you know, not having a vaginal breech birth, you know. So, um it's the ability to withstand those things, you know, in a in a what I'd call a very responsible and sensible way that augurs, you know, well for breech birth. And when you support breech labour, are you supporting labour to start spontaneously? Um, no, no, I very, very much want to prefer a spontaneous labour and... There are some circumstances where you might consider inducing. If that is the case, will you try and do as little as possible to induce it? Yeah. Um, I think it's an important conversation to have because everything that's coming back to this today is to keep breach ultimately as safe as possible. It has to be 
uh, the physiological yeah, process yeah, yeah, of yeah. birth. It has to be the mother and the baby working together yeah. um, to labour and birth, and that's when it's kept the safest. Yeah. yeah. I just wanted to bring that up because I just know so many people do that. They seek out care providers that are going to support their breach and then the terms are that, you know, and and care providers, I think it's really important we bring this into the conversation. Some care providers will be very specific that they will apply forceps to the baby's head, um, that you will have to be in certain positions, that labour has to look a certain way um, and you know, what I hear when I hear that is there is no trust in the process of yeah. physiological yeah. breach. What they're wanting to do is medically manage it, which stems from the last 40, 50, 60 right. years yeah. of medical practice. So there is no trust in the physiology. And so that for you may feel really safe. For other people, it may not. And certainly for, for me, I, I support 100% physiological breach birth. And Andrew, I have had a client who had a breach birth position and who, uh, and we engaged with your services at the Royal Women's. And I remember you chatting to her about, you know, being upright in her birth rather than a lot of obstetricians will talk about the need for a epidural in order to conduct a breech birth. Where do you sit in that? Well, again, it's the whole language about us conducting a breech birth is the giveaway, isn't it? Um, and, you know, the more I look at it, this works when we don't have that mindset, all right? You set everything up so that as much as possible things happen by themselves. In that process of things happening by themselves, the woman that is supported by the woman coming into a place that's uh, friendly and welcoming, where it's quiet and where everyone's excited about her birth. And then that you know, as I say, I discourage epidurals, but if the woman needs one, she has one, all right? Uh, but you just try and, you know, I just try and say, because I work with midwives and we just say, look, we will do our best to support you away from an epidural, support, emphasis on support, uh, because the reality is that the whole birthing thing, this the whole physiological approach works best when the woman is mobile. And so where she can adopt a position that is suitable for her and, you know, generally that's some sort of upright position, but it's also the ability to swap between positions. That's so important when the women are pushing that sometimes, you know, they will get on the bed just to have a bit of a break. Then they'll get onto a birth stool. They might go over to hands and knees. They might adopt a squatting position, et cetera. Uh, but it's the ability to do that uh, and be very active. I describe it up and at them at the time. That's just so important. As far as the epidural, you know, uh, there've been a few spectacular occasions where a woman said to me, she's not pushing the baby out, she'll say, I need an epidural and I'll be able to push push my baby out. And they were right, right? But as a first up, you know, because a lot of obstetricians say they want an epidural because they want the insurance policy just in case it is a, you know, caesarean while it's already there, or that if they're having to do various manipulations, it's not going to hurt the woman. Yeah, I don't see that as the best thing, you know. Well, right? they're not believing in the process. Well, yeah, again, yeah, again, it's yeah, it's that mindset that uh, there is, you know, 
there will be too often the need for these things because that's the nature of it. And that that's actually the see, fortunately, I think that's the mindset that's changing a bit now, as in because of things like that Breach Without Borders initiative, the various conferences that we've had. It's changing that mindset that uh, we're talking here about a normal birth. And it's just like a head first birth, all right? With a head first birth, sure, most of the time it happens by itself. If something's not quite happening, well, we're there to help and, you know, with whatever. Um, and it's the same with breach. Most of the time you're just watching it happen. You should just be marvelling at it, you know, and just watching how the woman herself can adopt various positions. And it's just watching that. And if if it's not quite happening, well, then you're sufficiently skilled and you have enough knowledge about the normal process that you can help the baby in the most efficient and safe way. Mel, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to ask, Andrew, um, you know, most of the time you describe just sitting back letting the process occur, creating a supportive environment with the quietness and no fear in the space. How many times, you know, if you were, and you might not have these stats either, but how often do you think you need to actually interfere with that process as a clinician? I'll say less and less. Mm. Um, But, say, in the study that we did in Newcastle, I think there was some some help in perhaps 20% of breaches, 20 to 30%. A lot of the time that was minimal. That was where, you know, it's particularly where you're helping the head as it's birthing. But, you know, it's a situation where, you know, I'm learning all the time. You know, I just realised now that just by changing the woman's position, you can probably do away a lot of the times that you're actively helping the, um, the birth of the head. So... You know, I, I think we, you know, just with the whole positioning and all those other things that you've mentioned, really you should be able, you should probably around, you know, 80% of babies can birth with minimal help. And you're saying less and less because there's more trust for the process and more skill level being gained? Are you, do you think it's because we're now starting to regain skills? Yeah, I think so. And regaining the confidence around the whole physiological process. Yeah. Look, given the, again, what I described previously is the current pressures and, you know, limitations around breech birth, probably ECV, the turning the baby is a good first bet, right? However, I think the more this whole business that this is a normal process, having a breech baby where all the conditions are met, then I think we'll end up doing fewer of these turns, right? But that's going to take a bit of, uh, that will still take some time. But I I think it will happen, right? So, Andrew, in light of 98 to 99% of babies being born by caesarean if they're breech, why do you so strongly stand by the need to offer vaginal breech births? Look, there, there are many reasons for that. One basic reason is that after a vaginal breech birth, a woman can end up without a scratch on her body, right? And people forget that, right? So we had one on the weekend, you know, where 
even despite, uh, I'm not breaking confidence, even despite a few manoeuvres, this woman literally had a scratchless birth, right? And if you look at our, you know, one of our basic tenets is you try and minimise harm, you try and do no harm, well, that's a no-brainer. Now, the other reasons are that the whole process of normal birth is not an experience that we should take away from any woman lightly. It's just there's something too important and unique about it to say, well, it's too risky, we'll just do a caesarean. Sometimes those decisions are in the with the best of intentions are a bit trivialised and there's a lack of recognition how that the whole process of normal birth is very important. And that's almost trivialising it. It's more than special. There's something so special about that whole birthing process that you've got to have a very good reason Mm -hmm. to say that that's not possible or advised, a very good reason, and you shouldn't undermine it. The other thing is that these skills need to be maintained. You know, we can't just say that because of this study, all of a sudden, you know, we no longer need to maintain these skills or we can ditch them. I mean, that's bordering on slightly irresponsible to me. Now, a lot of, you know, I'm not saying that that overtly happens like that, but sometimes when I listen to people talk, it's a, it amounts to that. We've got a responsibility to maintain these skills And if women are informed about all aspects of breech birth and make a considered decision, then we need to support them so that, you know, we're doing justice to their very informed preferences and to the whole normal birth thing. But also it's an an opportunity for us to maintain important skills, which is mostly just watching the birth, so that when an unexpected breach comes in, everyone doesn't sort of flip out and then go into total fear mode. It's just so that you've got that basic underlying skill so you can cope with the expected and the unexpected. And, how? I mean, so that you're thinking less like an obstetrician and more like a midwife is what I'm <laughs> sort of hearing from your, you know, deep trust in the birth process and the desire to protect the physiological process of birth and how much it can give to a woman and a baby. You must have come up against opposition in your career, talking and thinking like this and doing breech births in a world where 99% of babies are born. By Look, I, I wouldn't say it's um, the occasions of actual outright opposition haven't been that often. It's main. It's mainly. It's one of scepticism. It's. It's often one of. Well, why would you want to do that? Why do you? You know, the line is. Why do you want to end up in court? Okay. Yeah. Often the reaction has been. Well, someone needs to do it. All right, you do it, Andrew. But I don't want anything to do with it. Right. Uh, so that's the type of reaction. But it's mostly now. You know. The more you talk about these things, uh, it's mostly now, you know, so amongst the group of obstetricians that I work with, mostly they, they're they positive about the fact that, you know, we can offer vaginal breaches. And dare I say it, some of them want to share the love, right? What options pe- do people have? Because I know there's people listening to this and a lot of people will come to this with a breech baby 
in utero and think, I want him. I want to see him. I want him to be there while I'm birthing my baby. And the reality of that is great if you're in New South Wales and near Sydney and you've got that option. I know people do travel um, from far and wide to come and have a breech birth that's supported by you. But what is the reality? The reality in most places is that it's not possible and that women, unfortunately, I'm trying to be careful about my words, uh, women are coerced out of that possibility of breech birth. They're given at face value, you know, perhaps acceptable reasons. You know, there's the lack of skill. There's the lack of infrastructure. But it is a type of well-intentioned institutional coercion, and that's the reality. And it's sort of tackling that uh, in a strategic way that's only, only by tackling that that you can sort of make a few changes here. And I think this is what it comes down to. So many people's choices are limited and that is often where the trauma is because they don't even get a chance to have discussions about it, yes. let alone yeah. give it a go. Yeah. What are you doing and what is happening around the world just to give some people some hope here to change that, to you know, that strategy of enabling well, this to be a choice for more people? So there are a number of impressive initiatives, one in the UK from a midwife called Sean Walker, who's doing some fantastic research on this. But she has set up, you know, uh, various breach units around the country that allow women to have choice. And, you know, she is, she's quite evangelical about it. And it's fantastic. But she works very much with obstetricians, right? Now, similarly, say we in um, in Scandinavia, some of the Scandinavian countries, uh, and most impressive, and a, 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 a Danish obstetrician called Camilla Gerhard Nielsen, she virtually converted the whole of Denmark to being more accepting of particularly physiological upright vaginal breech deliveries. A very impressive effort. Then there is a midwife in uh, in uh, Canada called Betty Ann Davis, and she is constantly talking and writing about this, and she works with various institutions so that women do have choice. The other really impressive initiative is the Breach Without Borders, which is a woman called Rixa Fries, who herself is not a midwife, as in she might have trained in it, but she doesn't practice, but she's got this whole education set up now, which is absolutely fantastic, and it's all about physiological breech birth. It's a normal process. Now, she has got a number of US hospitals and institutions interested. That is an amazing effort because if you'd have to describe as the US as the most paranoid obstetric country in the world. The fact that she's got a number of US hospitals on board with her doing that training, that is fantastic. That is a sign of hope. So uh, these are all very positive things. There are a few other um, in initiatives around. So it's interesting, the French you know, still maintain the skill of vaginal breech birth. And that's the, 
their, um, all the data that they've produced simply shows that where you've got a system set up so that it supports it and where there is legitimate choice, where there is skill, you know, that can, can stand back but help when necessary, uh, where you've got the important backups of needing to do a caesarean when you need to, well, your outcomes can be very, very good. Um, so what I'm hearing is in terms of supporting that, if people in Australia, do you know the options? Do you know individual care providers and or places? You've mentioned Sunshine Coast Hospital and obviously where you are in Sydney. Are there any others that you're aware of that you could draw? Because obviously predominantly our listeners are Australian and this is what they want to know. They want to know where can I go, who will support me to have yeah. a vaginal breach? Is there a resource page where people can go to where people say, I'm happy to support physiological breach? Like what is there for people to actually figure this out for themselves? Uh, I'm not aware of such a resource. I can just tell you that, say, we in New South Wales, it's, a Royal Hospital for Women in Randwick, Westmead Hospital and John Hunt Hospital in Newcastle that will support a vaginal breach. Uh, then in Melbourne, it's it's probably Monash Hospital is your best bet, Sunshine Hospital. In South Australia, I'm genuinely not sure. In Western Australia, there are currently there are limited possibilities. There are there's clearly there are people in all these places who are very keen to, you know, set set things up so that there are opportunities. So yeah, I did want to talk about the the question I had earlier as well was if a woman is presented with the option of a care provider who is not confident in breech birth, do you think it may actually be safer to have a cesarean? breach birth with somebody who obviously is very skilled in cesarean but not vaginal breach yeah yeah I, I don't like sort of saying that to her but that's the reality because uh someone who's not skilled or has got varying anxieties about a breach birth women immediately feel that and it interferes with the process yeah so an unskilled breach person doing a breach is a more dangerous situation than a skilled clinician doing a cesarean section for breach. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah thanks for answering that. I appreciate that you were honest in that because it's the same feeling that I have. <laughs> um, so then because of this issue of not really being able to find a really skilled breach clinician easily in Australia, there's a real desire to turn babies from bum down to head down so that your options for vaginal birth are opened up. So one thing I guess as a home birth midwife myself, women always want to try and do absolutely everything else before they get to the medical options for turning a baby. Uh, so can you talk to us about what what do you talk to women about, about how do we turn a baby from bum down to head down? Well, you know, I describe the procedure and the main things that I say are that, you know, it's it's a bit of a clear i say it's not a game of rugby union right we it's got to be minimal pressure to and it shouldn't hurt and it's basically lifting the baby's backside up and encouraging the baby to do a forward roll if possible you should do it try and do it just with one hand every now and again that can happen and if you're using a second hand to help the baby's head around again you've got to limit the amount of pressure so this is for an ECV where you're actually physically right. 
like have your hands on the outside of a woman's uterus yeah. and then manually rotating the baby to, yeah. to head down. I love that you've mentioned one hand because I've only ever seen people use two and one hand really says that the baby's willing to go that way, right? Yeah, that's right. And the other things that I talk to women about are things like acupuncture, moxibustion, you know, the spinning babies crew has all these strategies for turning a breach. Um, And the other thing I talk about, you know, you talked about earlier about the maternal potential maternal reasons why the baby's not turning is potentially getting a chiropractor or osteopath to check for pelvic alignment and things like that. Would that factor into your advice or is that very woo-woo advice from me, the home birth midwife? Uh, Look, the thing I say about that is is I'm not aware of any sort of convincing evidence that they make a huge difference. However, I've got nothing against them being tried, as in, you know, I'm not going to say don't try it. In fact, I think, you know, by using those options i think it's there's an element of you know positively engaging with the situation which i think is a good thing amazing i mean i don't have any more questions for you andrew but is there anything you really want to say about breach birth you have the floor well look the one thing that i didn't mention you're talking about you know well what's the future hold where there are signs of hope in this you know look I think it's a lot of it is going to happen through midwifery. It will be midwives, so like I mentioned, Sean Walker, I mentioned Betty Ann Davis. It's by getting a few of those around the place saying, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get right into it. Uh, I'm not going to accept. I'm not going to be bowled over by fear because Essentially, this is a midwifery exercise. You know, the whole breech birth thing is fundamentally midwifery, right? It's well, see, if it's a variation of normal, yeah. then it's within our scope. Yeah. It's physiological birth. Yeah, yeah. and so... Especially it, when it's managed physiologically, that is our practice. That's right. And so it's by midwives sort of... Uh, and I just... I've got this fantastic midwife working with me at present, and the difference that she has made in, you know, the whole, the way the women are coming through, that it's just amazing. And I've just watched her at one of the breech births. Just her being there just made such a difference, right? And so I think, you know, the, the way forward is that you have to establish what I call, uh, you know, these solid platforms of midwifery care because that is going to then make uh, perhaps your more anxious obstetrician a bit less anxious. It's as though they're spreading the load, but it's that midwifery confidence, you know, particularly that's what will win the day, as in that's what will win over people because the whole fear thing, you know, just burns out after a while, right? But I've seen this, you know, particularly, say, we with some of our younger doctors and even some of our senior doctors, when you've got a midwife in the room who's confident about it, just watching everything happen, they really like that. And so that's that's how I think things should happen here is by having, you know, midwives set themselves up in various key areas saying, all right, we're going to make this happen. This is how we'll involve the obstetricians. This is how we'll involve the registrars, but they're going to direct it. 
not in a in that dictatorial way, but it, that's a this is how we're going to work with the process. Thanks so much for being here, Andrew. We just learned a lot, and B wants to take photos. All right. Well, that is it for episode 26 on Breathing This. We've been here with Andrew Bissett. And if you want to have a look at any of the research that we tapped into today, you can join the mailing list at melaniethemidwife.com and you will be able you'll be sent out all the resources that we used on this podcast today. It's great yeah. to talk to you. Seriously, enjoyed it very much. Okay. Thanks, Andrew. I'll get, go I'll for get a photo before we sign off. <laughs> okay. Oh, thank you. Thank you so, so much. We really appreciate it. And thank you for doing all you do because you are so very needed. Great pleasure. Okay. Have a nice evening, guys. Thanks for listening with us today. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favourite podcast platform and join our mailing list at melaniethemidwife.com. Mel sends out weekly emails with access to all the evidence we use in this podcast. You can find out more about Mel at melaniethemidwife.com and find out more about me, B, at coreandfloor.com.au. We can't wait to bring you next week's episode of The Great Birth Rebellion. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> All right.